Hello, welcome to the second episode of the Changing the Narrative podcast, How I Changed My Narrative, part two. I'm Sophie Catherine, so happy you're here today. So the second part of my journey is a little bit more difficult for me to share. It's definitely a lot more vulnerable. And it's not that the first part wasn't vulnerable, it's just I'm so comfortable sharing that part of my story. And this second part is a little bit more uncharted. I think there's a tendency in all of us as humans to hide things that happen sometimes in our lives. We only want to show the good parts. We only want to show the victories. But in those darkest times is usually when the growth happens. And I think there's a lot of power that carries when we're open and vulnerable and share about those times. So, so excited you've joined me today. I hope you enjoy the second part. Let's get started. All right. Well, where to start? I think I'll start as my first day ever as a flight attendant. So when you first start out in the industry, you're on call. You don't have a regular schedule. You're basically there for whatever the airline needs. So if someone calls out or someone doesn't show up to the gate, you're called to go work a last minute flight. So you have to be really close to the airport. This was all new things that I was learning. I didn't really understand And as I was dipping my toes in and getting out of um, graduation from getting my wings, I had to line everything up. So when you're a starving flight attendant and you're not making a lot of money, the option for us girls that don't have a ton of resources is a crash pad. I wasn't one of those people that had a friend in Boston that I could crash on their couch. No, I I had to get a bed somewhere. So... In aviation, we have what we call crash pads. So crash pads are basically a communal living space. It can be pilots, it can be flight attendants, it can be co-ed. It's a place where everybody kind of crashes until they have to get to the airport. So when you're on call, you have to be close. So it made sense for me to get one. And the person that had given me a reference on the flight knew someone that ran one. So she had given me all this information. And I'd seen pictures of it, but I'd never been there in person. I'd paid the deposit. So, brand new little self, (laughs) out in the big city. Um, I get to Boston for the first time. The next day, I'm on call for the airline. And this, this woman also, besides giving me a number for a crash pad, had given me information for a taxi driver um, that was known around Boston for just driving around flight attendants. So I had an address (laughs) and a few pictures and a phone number, nothing else. And it's like, oh, yeah, you just call this guy. He'll pick you up at the airport. You go. All right. So I get to the airport. They drop me off. I don't even know if it was at arrivals or departures, but I've never really been to the airport, this airport by myself, maybe once before. And I call the number, and we'll call, we'll call, this, we'll call this guy George, okay? So I call the number, and he's like, hey. I said, hi, um, I'm calling for a ride from the – oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, okay. He said, uh Terminal C? I said, yep, as I guess that's where I was going. <laughs> uh, door C204, five minutes. And I'm, I don't want to act stupid, right? I don't want to act like I don't know what I'm doing, but I have no idea where door C204 is. I don't know what level I'm on. And I have like a mini meltdown in the airport. And in that moment, I felt so alone and scared. And why am I doing this job? I'm so out of my comfort zone. I wasn't familiar with Boston, you know? I'd grown up in this small New England town, super sheltered, got married really young. Like, this was so new. So I'm like crying. I call him back. I'm like, I don't know where to go. And he's like, 
Uh, you just go up the second level, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. And then I just didn't want to, like, annoy this person. I just wanted to, like, know what I was doing. So I finally find the level. And I'm waiting. And this, like, 1987 Buick Oldsmobile or whatever. Some just, like, really janky Cadillac pulls up. I, I'm not really good with cars. I'm just making up something. But it's got, like, duct tape on it. And it just kind of pulls up. And I'm like, this can't be the taxi. Because I'm looking for, like, a yellow cab or something, you know. In my head, that's what a taxi is. It's seated on Sex in the City. <laughs> this guy with, like, really long, greasy hair pops out. And he's like, hey, uh, this is a, a pickup for Sophie. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, this is George's taxi. And I'm like, okay, one of two things is going to happen. Like, this guy's going to drop me off at my destination or he's going to murder me and throw me in a ditch somewhere. Either way, I was trusting these people. I had to. I get in the taxi and I'm just like, okay, if I have to jump out of the car, like, can I roll into this, <laughs> this side of the, like, and he's driving me and he's like smoking a cigarette and he's just talking and I'm like, oh my God. And, um, he pulls up and he's like, yep, this is Lincoln Ave. This is the address I'd given him for this crash pad. And it's this alleyway. It's this dark, narrow alleyway. And he just pulls my stuff out of the car and he's like, there you go. And he drives off. And I have the address, and I have to, like, find my way to this crash pad. And it's, when I get there, I'm, like, figure it out, get in. It's three stories. There's a bunch of people in there. They all kind of look at me like, who are you? And I'm like, hey, I'm the new girl, (laughs) you know. And everybody seemed to know each other really well there, and I instantly felt out of place. And, you know, I had never had roommates. I'd never gone to college. This was a whole new experience for me. And it was so freaking terrifying. And I remember just like unpacking and getting into my bunk bed. And granted, I was sharing a room with about eight other girls and thinking, why am I here? And this crash pad taught me a lot of life lessons. And I was very naive, even though I was 27. You know, I, I'd been around pretty good people for most of my life. And so I was very trusting. And, you know, I, I didn't really understand status quo or like social norms. And, you know, these, it was a crash pad of about 14 women and the pilots were downstairs and, um, the girls were all very close and clicky, like all knew each other. And I kind of came in and I didn't fit. And it was really very lonely. And I remember crying in my bunk bed most nights. I felt very like excluded from the group. No matter what I tried to do, I was not accepted. And they looked at me as kind of like this person who was pretending. I felt like they thought I was like a poser or like an imposter. Like I was acting naive and immature, but I really was. I mean, it wasn't like a fake facade I was putting on. I really didn't understand a lot of things. And so I ended up getting kind of bullied out of this crash pad and went into a new one that was actually a completely different experience. But, you know, I'd never really dealt with mean girls. I'd never dealt with like peer pressure or clickiness. And so this was like kind of my entry point into it. And you're like making no money, you know, you're away from home. And I just was thinking, why did I do this to myself? You know, why did I switch careers? I had it so good at my old job. I was, you know, I was home every night. Like I knew the people, it was easy. And here I am alone in Boston with like out any friends, but it definitely got better. And that's kind of when the partying started. I, um, I had no one there like looking over my shoulder. I was kind of this girl in Boston that had no obligations anymore. And 
it was fun. It was really fun to just kind of go out with my classmates because a lot of us had gotten Boston-based, so we were all on call at the same time. So we would just go downtown and drink and hang out and lots of nights. I don't remember getting back to the crash pad. And that's kind of when I really started to kind of step outside of that like constricted, safe, traditional mindset. And I allowed myself to kind of have that college experience that I never got. So I sat reserve for about six to eight months, and then I finally got a line. And what that means, for those of you that aren't in aviation, I got a consistent schedule. I knew when I was going to show up to work, I wasn't on call anymore, and I had scheduled trips. So I was able to kind of get rid of the crash pad and be back home more frequently. But even so, like there was a deterioration that was happening in my relationship, and I think I knew it. And I was partying and feeling guilty about it, so then I was like, well, we got to get back into church. So that was kind of my go-to. I would flip-flop between the two worlds. I would have my flight attendant world where I would party and have fun with my friends. And then when I was home, I was making dinner for my husband and going to church on Sunday. That was kind of the, that was kind of the lives that I was leading. And I always felt very pulled and torn. And, and at this time, too, I was meeting a lot of people in aviation that were diverse and different and different, different sexual orientations. And it, just like it had been in Washington, I was feeling really challenged because I wasn't really resonating with the church anymore. I wasn't feeling connected to this belief system of judgment and condemnation anymore. I wanted to love freely and I didn't really see God as this, you know, being that judged people for like loving a man if you're a man or loving a woman if you're a woman, like wanting to change genders. Like all of these things weren't connecting anymore for me because the God I wanted to know was a God of love and it just wasn't portraying in the church anymore. And it was also really hard to switch from West Coast Church to East Coast Church. And what I mean by that is I'd gotten so used to like this West Coast mentality in church where it was just like more open-minded and not as constricted and not as traditional. And when you move back to New England, it's like fire and brimstone, you know, you're a wretch, like all of these things. And so it was, it was really hard to transition back into that and was having a very hard time finding a church that I felt comfortable at. And... I was on Instagram one day and I, f- I found this church plant that was starting up and it looked cool. The couple looked cool. I was like, well, hey, this might be something. Their church looked like they had a donut wall and I thought that was cool. So, and like a coffee shop, all that, you know, the classic. <laughs> so I reach out, I start connecting with the pastor's wife and I'm thinking this is a perfect opportunity for my then husband to get involved. I feel like I was always out there trying to find something for him. Because I'm one of those people, if you tell me what you want to do, I'm going to help you do it. And as a partner, I thought that that was my job. He wants to be a youth pastor. He wants to be a ministry. Let's make it happen. So we get connected. And there was a pattern of behavior that I definitely started to realize as time went on with my ex. And it was always things would be really good in the beginning of a church. And then something would happen and it would be their fault and we would leave. And this would happen again at this church. And we left and... I got really sick of the entire of this like cyclical cycle that we were on where we would go for a while and then something would happen and we'd have to start all over. But it was always me doing the work. And I think what I real I've realized a lot about relationship, especially with a significant other, you should never be in a position where you have to push this person towards their goals. I mean, it's not that you don't push people or like support them, but you can't make it happen on your own. I think I was trying so hard to make things happen for him when he needed to make it happen for himself. But again, we were, we were just drenched in codependency. I hadn't learned a lot of 
good relationship, you know, um, patterns from my family or the church and he didn't either. And we're trying to make this happen and it's not. And so he started to play more video games and withdraw. I began to drink more and party more and it just wasn't a good scene. And around this time I had, I had had this, this church that had always been in like the forefront of my mind. It was this church out in Northern California and there was a lot of talk around this church that it was a cult, that it was wild and crazy. And I don't know, there was something about it that drew me in. And I had been wanting to go for years. Even when we lived on the West Coast, I, I wanted to go. I felt like it was an experience I, I had to have. And there's been several times in my life that I can count where there's been a moment where I need to, I know I, know I have to experience something and I just can't get away from it. And I had been waiting for my ex to go with me. And when we were on the West Coast, there was always an excuse. And then we moved back. You know, I have all these free flight benefits. We can just fly out there. No, I don't want to go. All right. And I don't know what it was. I think I just finally had realized when you become a flight attendant, and it maybe not just be in this career, but for me personally, I realized how self-sufficient I was. I didn't realize how capable I was and how independent I was and how I could take care of myself and I'm meeting people that I know will be there for me like I had a support system that I knew if like I walked away from my marriage or something happened I'd be good and it was the first time I could ever say that in my life because I had felt like everything's going to collapse if this marriage doesn't work out and I wasn't feeling that way anymore so when he said he didn't want to go I thought well great you know I'll go without you So I finished a trip in Boston. I book a flight to San Francisco, flew first class. And I was thinking, you know, um, maybe I will hop a flight to NorCal. Well, when I landed in San Francisco at like two in the morning, all the flights had oversold. So I'm sitting there thinking, what am I going to do now? I've come all this way. I want, I have an Airbnb booked. I have all of this. I can't not go, but I hate driving in cities. Not my thing. I'm so bad at driving. Anybody knows me. I'm an awful driver. And the thought of driving through San Francisco was not like at the top of my priority list. But nonetheless, I'm like, you know what? No, I'm renting a car. We're doing this. I'm not going to go back home. So I go down to Hertz. I rent a car at like three in the morning. And I, I still can't believe I did it. There was not a soul in the airport. And I get in the car and I just start driving. And it was about five or six hours to get to where I was going. And there was this moment on the freeway where I just kind of pinched myself and I thought, wow, Sophie, you're a badass, you know? And I'd never even considered that. I mean, when I was little, the option for me was marriage and a family. It was never a career and travel and independence. It was, you know, conformity. And so this whole new world that had opened up was it was mind blowing to me. And I remember the sun was rising and I was on the freeway and Lou Reed was playing. And I just realized like, wow, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for this experience. And that weekend would end up changing my life in a new way. Um, even though I don't, you know, I don't follow a mainstream organized church anymore. And I don't, I don't go I feel like if we limit our belief system and we're so bitter and we're so close-minded against certain things that maybe haven't worked out well for us in the past, we can miss out on opportunities to expand. And even though I don't go to church anymore and have no desire to go back, this experience is so special to me because it was a healing time. And there was a lot that happened for me in that moment.
And so I went into this church, you know, there was a lot of hype around it. There was a lot of talk about it. And I went in with very open mind. Um, I didn't want to assume things were going to happen. I didn't want to look for things to happen. I just kind of wanted to be a spectator and see what happened. And from the minute I walked into the church, I just got this like rush of energy. And some people would call it the Holy Spirit. I just feel like it was energy. It was positive energy, but I was like, whew, whoa, something's going to happen here today. And as I'm standing in the service, like the music starts to play and I don't know. I just threw off all abandon and I just jumped over a stack of chairs and ran to the front. I just wanted to be up to the stage. I just wanted to be near the, near the music, near the energy. And I just felt myself lift out of my body. It was like an out-of-body experience. And I didn't even feel like I was connected to my physical body. And I felt like I was just floating. And I would go to several services this weekend. And then a person came up behind me and she put her arm on my shoulder and she just started talking. And She was just like, oh, brave girl, you've been carrying so much for so long. It was never yours to carry. Oh, it's breaking off. You're free. The chains are breaking off. You're not carrying this anymore. And I honestly felt something in that moment physically break and fall off of me, like this spiritual heaviness that I had been carrying for most of my life of this pressure to be perfect, this pressure to conform, this pressure to be the perfect wife when I was struggling so much, and the pressure to feel responsible for another human Like it was my job to take care of them. And she didn't know me from Adam. She didn't know me at all. Um, But what she said spoke volumes. And in that moment, I shifted. And I remember calling my aunt on the drive back to San Francisco to fly back. And I was like, I can't explain what happened this weekend. She goes, no, you got healing. Like something happened. And I said, I know, I know. And after this, I started to like, it was almost like the awakening of my true spiritual journey. I started to get like tingles. I started to have visions. I was starting to have very profound dreams. And it was kind of like this kind of unleashed, um, I mean, we can call it enlightenment or, you know, a path to this or whatever, but that's, that's kind of when it started to happen for me. And I was also not limiting myself any, anymore. I wasn't just thinking of things in the confines of the church. I was opening myself up to meditation and um, manifestation and, you know, things that I had never really thought about before. I wasn't closing myself off from them. So I get home. I'm excited to share this with my ex and he's just not there. You know, he's not feeling it. And it wasn't long after this that I just had this moment. I was in my apartment. I'll never forget. I was making coffee or something. And I just had this, I call them divine downloads now, but there was this moment or of clarity where I heard this voice say to me, what if following your life purpose required you to walk away from this relationship? And I could not unhear it. I didn't know if it was God. I didn't know if it was my inner being. I didn't know what it was. But after I heard that, I knew I could not stay in this relationship. And it would take me several attempts to leave it. The first time I did everything wrong, um, I talked to everybody, but, and I didn't trust myself. And you know, a lot of my friends were heaped in religion and Oh no, you, you know, you stay married. That's what God calls you to do. Like, and (laughs) looking back now, it's kind of funny because all of the people that were trying to tell me to stay in this relationship are miserable. And I think what I realized in that moment is these people are miserable in their current situation. I have to stay miserable because they're miserable. They're not looking at it from what's good for me. They're thinking, well, she can't leave because if she leaves, that means that uh, I, 
I can't have the ability to leave. When you realize like a lot of the times, some of the advice you get from people is through their own wounding and trauma, and it has nothing to do with you. So when you have to really, really hone in on your intuition and trust yourself. And I didn't do that the first time. <laughs> so I ended up walking right back into the relationship. You know, I, but I, the minute I did, I just felt so heavy. I, the first time I left him, I left him a note on his gaming console and I was like, I'm done. I was so done of, of fighting with a computer and games for attention. I mean, I had told him for years I wasn't happy and he didn't want to hear it. And he, he was, he was blindsided. The first time I left him, he couldn't believe it. And I remember thinking, how are you this naive to how unhappy I've been for so long, you know? But things are going to be different. We'll, we'll go back to church. It'll be good. Well, within six to eight months, we were back, right back there again. And nothing had changed. Just a lot of empty promises. And um, I remember sitting on the bed while he was gaming, and I was drinking so many White Claws. And I was on the phone with my aunt, and she was like, what are you afraid of losing? If you leave this relationship, what are you afraid of? And I couldn't really tell her. I think it was the fear of the unknown. It was the fear of being alone for the first time in my life. I mean, I'd been with this person for almost a decade. And before that, I'd lived at home. So there was really no time of me just living by myself. So it was, it was I think it was the judgment I felt like I was going to feel for getting divorced. And it was also the fear of the unknown. And in between this time, I had met this wonderful, wonderful soul on a trip. And she had recommended this documentary to me called The Secret. And I don't know if any of you have seen it, but it's basically a documentary on the law of attraction. And I was starting to dip my toe into manifestation at the time. I know it's such a widely used term now. I mean, there's manifestation babes, there's all this stuff about it. But back then, honestly, I mean, three or four years ago, it was just starting to become popular, I feel like, but I hadn't heard about it. So I'm like, sure, I'll watch it. I love a good documentary. So Shortly after this talk with my aunt, I watched the documentary. It makes so much sense. I start taking notes furiously. I'm like, oh, okay, I could write all this down. And I, I wrote down five things that I wanted. And they were very simple. You know, I wanted to write a book. You know, I wanted to have an abundant lifestyle. I wanted to travel and eat and meet people. I wanted to have sex that I enjoyed. That was like a huge thing for me. Um, and yeah, there was just like four or five things I put down. Just abundance. I wanted abundance. And I wrote down the steps of, you know, expressing gratitude to the universe, envisioning what you want, putting yourself in that frequency, acting like you're living it out already. And I kid you not, in a span of about three to five days, me and my ex had separated. Easy peasy. Like, no issue. I had already found an apartment. Like, things started to happen so fast like, my ex just kind of orbited out of my reality. It was so hard to explain. Nothing was a fight. It was just happening. And I'm thinking, shit, <laughs> law of attraction is real. And it is. But I'll explain more about this, how I kind of went down the rabbit hole with that, as I tend to do. So <sighs> it was an easy separation. But at the same time, my ex was on Tinder. And he was. we were still living in the same space. And I told him, I said, I can't do this. I can't live with you while you're dating other people. And I don't want to pay your rent while you're dating other people. So let's just get that square. Well, he said, well, I'm not leaving the apartment. And so at this point, I had found a new apartment. I said, okay, well, you figure out how to pay rent. And at this time, I had two back-to-back -back LA trips. And I was really not wanting to work both of them. But I also knew the distance from being away from this time, like this 
the situation was going to give me a lot of mental clarity and I could get a lot done on the road. So I ended up working the first LA trip and I spent the night in Boston and then I had another one and I just happened to be working with this amazing soul. She's actually in my phone as Justine Amazing Conversation. We had had this amazing layover years ago where we just had this deep spiritual conversation and you know we're, we're just hanging out at the the foot of the Hollywood sign just like shooting the shit and stuff she was so cool so I just happened to be working with her again on this particular trip and I kind of knew there was a reason I was working with her and I kind of knew there was a reason I didn't call out um even though I had a lot going on personally in my life I felt it was super important to keep this trip so we work out to LA you know we get in relatively early we go get drinks <laughs> and we're smoking cigarettes American spirits and just talking about life and She's like, do you want to go back to my room and do tarot cards? And I, I had to like fight against my old way of thinking because tarot cards for me represented like Satan. <laughs> but I was like, no, 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 we're not going down that road anymore. I'm, I'm going to just be open to new experiences. So I said, sure. So I went back to her room and she, she fanned them out on her bed and she's like, put, put your energy on them. So I'm just like rubbing my hands on the cards and she's like, okay, think of a question, but don't tell me what it is. And I want you to ask it internally, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull a card. I can't remember what card she pulled, but I remember what the answer was. And my ex was on Tinder, and he was like, oh, you should get on you know, dating apps, and we should do this together, and it could be like a shared experience. I don't know what he was thinking, but I was thinking, like, am I ready to date? Like, part of me just wanted to be single, but also, like, I saw him doing it, and I was like, well, maybe I do want to do that. So that was in my head. I was like, do I, am I ready to date? And she pulled the card and she's like, okay, so this is saying that you need to trust your intuition, only you know the answer. And I'm like, of course. Of course only I know the answer. Story of my life, Sophie, you have to figure it out. We can't tell you what to do. So I was like, ugh. So I went to bed. We had plans the next day before the red eye back to just go to the beach, go swimming. And when I woke, I didn't really wake up. Like, I didn't sleep. I wasn't sleeping really well at this point. And um, I had just so much on my mind. So when I met up with her for breakfast, I said, Justine, like, I cannot go to the beach today. I just, I need a day. And she was completely cool with it. And I think that was one of the first times I had said no. I know I was always had FOMO and I always had a fear of missing out or upsetting people. I wasn't really good at setting boundaries. And this is one of the first times I felt like I kind of made a decision for me. And she didn't care, obviously. But for me, it was big. It was big for me to say no to something for me. And I was just in my room, and I'm like, what can I do today to relax? Like, I was so keyed up. And I was like, you know, I want mac and cheese. I want chicken, and I want a bubble bath. So I went across the street, got all those things, came back to my room, ate the mac and cheese, took the bubble bath, and just laid in bed all day. And I was in and out of meditative states. I wasn't really sleeping, but I would just kind of, like, shift into this mindset where I was kind of just zoned out. Sometimes I almost feel like when you get into that space, it's almost more restful than the actual sleep. So by the time the red eye came, I was, I felt okay, you know, and I remember like just talking to myself and I was just like, Sophie, get ready. I feel like something's coming. I don't know. I had this like feeling that I was on the cusp of something happening. And I remember talking to my lady region, <laughs> my pussy and just being like, girl, open up, just be ready for anything. I was really trying to open myself up to sex or open myself up to connection or open myself up to anything. I just wanted to be open 
And I was really trying every day to follow the steps for law of attraction, to envision things and to, to, to express gratitude and follow all the steps. And I was listening to Deepak Chopra, his intention, his intention recording, which is amazing. And I was just, you know, I remember right before I left the hotel, I just looked in the mirror and my skin was glowing. It was glowing. And I remember in that moment, just kind of seeing my radiance and just feeling so beautiful. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm so hot. It was more like, wow, I'm beautiful. Like I just felt it in my soul for the first time in my life. So we get to the airport, you know, it's the height of the mask mandate and uh, I was working in the back with um, this really negative person (laughs) and maybe she was just having a bad week I don't know but um, I just couldn't be in the galley with her like I just could not be there and I'd like to avoid the aisle during boarding because people get really weird about overhead bin space and quite frankly I don't like dealing with it you know one up one down and then they fight you on it so I was like well I'll go out in the aisle because I don't want to deal with her and I'm greeting people and I look up and I see this guy coming towards me and he's, you know, got brown kind of crazy hair and nothing like, like, oh my God, hunk a chunk of burn in love. It wasn't like, holy shit, this guy is so hot. It wasn't like that at all. It was just like this familiarity. And when I looked in his eyes, I knew him. And of course he had a mask on, so I could only see his eyes and he had a dog with him and he had like, you know, Carhartt pants on and a sweatshirt and just kind of a shorter guy. And I like, I look back at him and he smiles at me and I'm thinking, this is really weird. It was like a deja vu washed over me. I instantly felt like I loved him. I felt like I knew him. I felt like I was seeing someone I hadn't seen in a really long time. And as I'm walking back and forth through the cabin, we keep looking at each other and I'm like, okay, I know this person. This is really weird. It was like, um, I don't want to talk about it without getting emotional, but I probably will. I had spent my life not belonging. I always felt so out of place in my family. I always felt so alone. And when I saw him, it was like home. The first time I'd ever felt it. And I couldn't explain it, and I didn't know what to do. I'm going through all of this, you know, going through a divorce. I'm transitioning. And he was just like this feeling, like this feeling of belonging and safety and you know throughout the flight I just I kept trying to figure out what to do about it and you know it was against you know my company policy to, to, to look up a customer's information but you know we all do it once in a while and so I found him on Instagram and I was like, I gotta, I gotta reach out to this person. And as soon as I pulled up his profile, I just had this like flush of images in my head of us. Like, I couldn't tell if you, it was this life or a past life, but like I saw a future, I saw a past. And I threw my phone because it was almost like it opened up this door of like vision and psychic premonition. So Justine comes to the back and she's like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've met this person and... Um, I don't know. I feel something like, and she's like, oh, is it the guy with the dog? I saw him come on. He had great energy. I'm like, yeah, I know. And we'd had a small exchange in the aisle, um, about pets and stuff. And there was one point where the sun was starting to come up. We were getting ready to land in Boston and the light was literally just on his face. It was like the universe was like, oh, (laughs) here's this person. And he just opened his eyes and smiled at me. And I was just like, 
I love this person. And so I drafted up this stupid little note and I was like, I'm going to send it when we land. And if I never hear from him again, that's completely fine. And, and it was basically along the lines of like, Hey, like, I thought you had great energy. I was your flight attendant. Um, I just wanted to connect and, you know, don't feel like you have to respond, but, um, you know, please don't report me to my airline for being a creeper or something along the lines of that. I said, but take care. It was so great to meet you or something. And I sent it after we deplaned. And I... So I'm headed back to my hometown. Um, at this point, I was living with my cousin. So I had so much to do. I barely thought about it again after I sent the message. I was just too busy doing everything else. And I also just deleted evidence of it. I sent it, deleted it. I'm like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to know when he's read it. Nothing. I had this paperwork I had drafted up on my layover in LA setting the terms of my separation with my ex because I wanted my ass to be covered legally it's almost weird it's like sometimes I feel like how did I know how to do these things but I just did and I just did them and I had got my ex to agree to go to dinner I'm like hey I'll buy you dinner if you come look at some legal stuff of course he jumped on that he loves free barbecue so we go and he agrees to sign to get these paper this paperwork notarized because I just knew I don't know if it was psychically or intuitively I just knew eventually when all of the hype had worn off for this like new dating app thing that he was going through, he was going to want to come back to me. And at this point, like if the shit did hit the fan and he wasn't being so agreeable, I would at least have it in writing and notarized so he couldn't legally come back and say, oh, no, I want this or I want that. I just wanted it clear cut. So we're at dinner. He's like, sure, I'll sign it. Oh, let me tell you about this lawyer I'm talking to. And she's all tatted up and she's so cool and she runs two businesses and she lives in like, I don't even remember, I don't know, Cleveland or something. I don't remember. He's like, she's so cool and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, well, all right, let's just get this notarized, you know, <laughs> get back to my cousins, um, prepping for like moving into my new apartment, getting everything set up for that. And I have like four glasses of boxed wine and I pop a Unisom because I was not sleeping. Very healthy. I know this is such healthy behavior. And I wake up at like midnight and my phone is just flooded with messages from this guy that I had reached out to from the flight and he was like oh my god oh my god the mother of the cats because we had talked about our pets and he's just like I'm so happy you reached out like this made my entire year oh my god Sophie are you Boston based like I'm so happy you like contacted me like I'm so tired from the flight like did you drive home like and it was like eight messages all in a row And I remember just going in the bathroom at my cousin's house and looking in the mirror. And I just was like, this is going to be something. I didn't know what it was going to be. But the feeling I felt when I saw him, I knew he was going to have a huge impact in my life. And I was super excited. I didn't understand the timing of it all. But I knew in that moment, my life was about to change. Thank you so much for joining me on the second episode of the Changing the Narrative podcast. Again, I'm Sophie Catherine. This has been How I Changed My Narrative Part 2. If you do like what you're listening to, if you wouldn't mind going ahead and following me on whatever app you listen to and also giving me a five-star rating, it helps to greatly improve my podcast and helps me reach more people. Thanks again so much. I hope you have a great day and keep checking back for my next episode called The Catalyst. Have a good day, everybody.